everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John. I'm going to be riding solo this week. Faith couldn't make it to the show this week, but don't worry about it. I still got a jam-packed show planned for you guys. Faith will be back next week, so don't worry. It's just a one-week hiatus, and you're still getting me, so that's a win-win. And we got a lot to talk about in the world of physical media. We got so many announcements, so like we like to do every single week, we like to start this show off with the news, and there is so much of it. Right before I started recording, our video announced their December 2023 4K Blu-ray announcements and Blu-ray announcements, and the big one right out of the gate was 1979's Walter Hill's cult classic, The Warriors. Now, this is a very popular film here in New York. People love this movie. My ex-stepdad was a huge fan of this, so I saw this movie so many times, and people have been asking for a new restoration of this. And this is a U.S.-Canada release, but you can also get an Arrow Store exclusive 4K edition if you buy it directly from them. And honestly, as far as the artwork goes, I would prefer that one, but either way... It's awesome that we're getting a brand new restoration of this classic film. And then another announcement that's really surprising is they announced that coming to 4K Blu-ray are all the Child's Play films, all the way from the original Child's Play through Cult of Chucky. Or Curse of Chucky. I always forget which one of those is the last one. And for some reason, this might be a typo, but it appears that maybe the first Child's Play in this isn't coming to 4K. I feel like that's a typo, and by the point, and by the time you guys see this, it'll probably be confirmed that the original is coming to 4K as well. It does say that they're new restorations, but I have to check the scans on this. We'll have to wait and see when we finally get the final statistics of what this 4K set is going to look like. But it's very strange that last year we got Child's Play 1, 2, and 3 from Screen Factory. This year we got Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, Cult of Chucky, and Curse of Chucky on 4K. So now Screen Factory has released every single one of these on 4K. Eventually we'll have to get a full breakdown of what the extras difference are. I know it's got the same documentary that was on the Screen Factory edition. I've seen people, it's very early, like this is, uh, I'm recording this on Friday and they just announced it. So I don't have a full breakdown of what the differences are exactly yet. But from what I'm seeing, people are very satisfied with their Screen Factory releases and they don't need to double dip on this. Now, this is a UK release, so that's understandable as well. We got the US releases here. 4K is region free, so that's why people are saying they can go back and get it. And me personally, I absolutely love the box design that they're doing with the Arrow video release. And I would have preferred to wait personally just because I really like the yellow good guy box art that, they go that they're going for there. I would prefer that. Definitely more than the individual artwork that they went for. Because here in the US, we only got... The them released individually you couldn't buy these in a box set like you could with these editions i actually prefer the box design of the arrow video collections not so much the blue version even though that does make sense if you've seen child's play 2 i actually still prefer the yellow version a little bit more and i would have preferred to wait and get the arrow video versions but you know too little too late i'm not going to double dip on this one and get these i'm going to stick with my screen factory one two and three and bride of chucky i mean i'm going to sound like a broken record but i think that cedar chucky is the worst in the entire child's play franchise and is definitely my least favorite so i don't see any reason for me to ever get this entire box set i'm very happy with just having one two and three and brighter chucky which i think is the best in franchise on 4k i don't think i need to go especially on c to chucky i saw mid-level media's x or tweet or whatever the hell they're calling it now i have no idea what's going on over there but he put out what a world we live in where we're going to have two different editions of Sea to Chucky on 4K released in the same year. It's it's unbelievable. I, who had that on their bingo card? We still haven't gotten the Terminator on 4K, but we've gotten two editions of Sea to Chucky on 4K. I, I don't know what the hell the world's coming to. Forget everything that's going on in politics. Look what's going on in the world of physical media. Sea to Chucky on 4K twice.
You just can't make this stuff up. They also announced a couple other things besides the Child's Play franchise. For another U.S.-Canada release, we're getting Savage Guns, Four Classic Westerns, Volume 3. So for my buddy Stuart George, home videos, he loves Westerns. He's going to be really excited about this one. So that's a U.S.-Canada release. We're getting also The Day of the Locust on Blu-ray, not in 4K. That's a U.S.-Canada release only. So because it's Blu-ray, it's more than likely going to be a Region A. So it'll be Region Locked, which is different from how 4Ks are, which 4Ks are usually, for the most part, region-free, so you can always import them but if it's a region a you'll need a region a blu-ray player to play that but that's all pretty good those are some big announcements from arrow video they didn't disappoint with their december releases so i'm looking forward to a lot of that mainly the warriors for me personally but i do like what they're doing with the child's play box set we'll just have to wait and see what the official stats are on those and the other huge announcement that got confirmed and there were rumors about this and i kind of knew it was coming but james cameron's titanic is coming to 4k blu-ray from paramount here in the u.s on december 5th and we knew this was probably going to come out because earlier this year for its 25th anniversary they released the brand new 4k scan that had been completed in theaters so the scan just had to be transferred to disc so we're finally getting a james cameron film on 4k that's not terminator 2 and hopefully the scan is nothing like terminator 2 but from people who saw it in theaters they said it looked really good it looked like a huge upgrade so i'm looking forward to seeing it on my home theater on December 5th. They also previewed the new 4K scan of The Abyss this week, and people got to, got to look at that. James Cameron even talked about The Abyss coming to 4K there. Thanks for all the masteries done. I think it, I think it drops pretty soon. Like, since they have the 4k scan fully done ready to go they've previewed it i fully expect them to release this on 4k blu-ray next year for us at some point i don't know when but at some point we should get the abyss on 4k and then we'll just be waiting for true lies and the terminator james please buddy the terminator on 4k i need it they also announced High Tension from Second Sight is coming to 4K, which is awesome. That's a pretty popular film in the horror community. I have actually never seen it. I own it on Blu-ray, but I've never actually seen the film. Matt's told me so many times to check it out that I'll enjoy it. Maybe this will finally be the year I get catch up to it since it is coming to 4K Blu-ray. I think that's coming out in December as well. But I wanted to save the best for last when it comes to this. In November, we are going to be getting The Fugitive on 4K Blu-ray, courtesy of Warner Brothers with a steelbook as well. The steelbook I kind of like but i'm gonna get that slip cover the slip cover looks a little bit nicer a little bit more my taste a lot of blue in both of these you know it's a movie that takes place in the winter right around saint patty's day in chicago so i'm really looking forward to this this is one of my top 20 favorite films of all time so this is a big deal for me i love the fugitive i even love u.s marshals i did a video here on the channel in the early days of the channel talking about the fugitive and u.s marshals and how similar the films are they're almost the exact same length follow the exact same plot line all you have to do is swap out Dr. Richard Kimball, played by Harrison Ford for Wesley Snipes in the sequel, and otherwise you get the same film, but Harrison Ford does such a good job in The Fugitive. The Fugitive is actually my favorite Harrison Ford film. I like that more than Indiana Jones and his performances in the Star Wars franchise. As much as I love Han Solo, I'll always love Dr. Richard Kimball more, and I'll always love The Fugitive, so I can't wait to see this on 4K. I don't think Warner Brothers is going to drop the ball on this one. I think they know what they got, and I think this is going to be a beautiful scan. I'm expecting something similar to what their scan looked like for Training Day, so I'm really excited because that scan was really good from what I heard. I haven't actually seen it with my own eyes, but what I heard was it was a really good scan, and they did a great job of bringing that film to 4K, so I'm really looking forward to them bringing this film to 4K, and that one, I believe, is coming out in November. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. 
so some other physical media news this week. One thing that was making the rounds, mid-level media did a video, Jeff at Films at Home did a video, is Target is pretty much completely abandoning Blu-rays and DVDs and 4Ks. They're just abandoning physical media altogether. I actually went to a Target this past week, and I was in there, and all they really had was one half an aisle right across from the books, and that's where you had their Blu-rays and their 4Ks. And then they had like a little end cap that had the new release 4Ks, and that was really it. But that's kind of what it's been like at the Target near me for about a year now. They've really limited their 4K sections. It's actually right next to a Best Buy, and that Best Buy, which used to have a huge Blu-ray and 4K section, now only has two aisles, and they just have like one shelf where they just clearly threw all their back stock on. They didn't even bother separating it into categories. So yeah, it's getting a little dire out there as far as physical media on store shelves target and best buy are probably like the last brick and mortar stores you can even walk into um if you have a barnes and noble near you you could always go in there for the criterion collection but the one by me usually only has a limited selection really just new releases and like the classics nothing too obscure so you're gonna find there you're gonna really have to go to criterion.com amazon or bestbuy.com if you want to order those you know one of the small labels like diabolic dvd you could always order through them pretty much anything you want even to just get it imported so it's getting a lot rougher out there for the people who want to go into the store and just check the shelves I, we kind of knew this was coming it's been a long time coming it's a little bit disappointing from target's perspective but i understand if the sales aren't there why are you going to keep selling them it's really becoming an online only kind of niche audience you know i'm not gonna lie i very rarely go into a target or best buy and purchase the 4ks or blu-rays there i usually order them online especially since i've been doing the channel i like to pre-order all my stuff in advance because sometimes i'll get lucky and get it early since i don't really ever get review copies it's all out of my pocket so i try and pre-order them and then usually if you're one of the first pre-orders in you'll get it first so i usually do that with either best buy or amazon whoever has the cheaper price at the time i can't say that i've been in the stores out there supporting target or best buy physically being there i have ordered online from both of them but it is disappointing now for us guys sometimes if we're married we like to go into the store with our wives while they're over there shopping and you know we want to explore the electronics section and now that electronics section is just shrinking and shrinking and it's really disappointing you know maybe you we're just completely losing that aspect of pulling a blu-ray or 4k off the shelf looking at it and deciding you know i kind of like the box art on this maybe i'll take it home and give it a try that's almost completely gone now. You'll just be buying this stuff online only. It's a little bit disappointing, but it's also not surprising at all. And then in another bit of news, not related to really physical media, but related to movies in general, is the WGA has finally ended the strike. It, they and the uh, AMRP, or whatever the hell they're called, who represent the producers and the studio heads for like the big studios like Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, Disney, you know, all of them, they finally came to an agreement. And that means now that that dominoes fall, you can expect the SAG strike to end pretty soon because I've been a union myself. I've always had union jobs. The way this works is one contract is kind of used as the foundation for the other contracts that's why they usually have them expire around the same time so that you can negotiate one and then take the key points of that and then you negotiate with the other so they'll take the key points as far as artificial intelligence and pay and then they'll bring that to the sag representatives they'll work out a deal that'll be very similar to the writer's deal you know it's not going to be exactly the same obviously it's different jobs but just key points in there will be the same and i'm sure stuff related to medical will be the same and that deal should you know, probably get done in the next few weeks. It's not going to be open and shut, but now that the writers are done, we can expect the actors to get done pretty damn soon, which is really good for all of us. Of course, we unfortunately did lose Dune 2 this year due to the strike, and we've lost a couple other things. Some stuff got rearranged. It looks like not as much damage is done as it would have been if they didn't get this done, which was rumored to be around January. We would have lost a lot more movies next summer. TV shows would have had nothing. We already have, like, talk shows just coming back right away now that the writers are done, because you don't really need to have 
have SAG there for that. You just need the WGA for that stuff. So that stuff's already on the move. We're going to have all our talk shows back. But this is really good for all of us. This is really good for theaters, for TV networks that are, you know, trying to support everybody else, not just the writers and the actors. You know, you got to support the producers. You got to even support the, you know, the below the line stuff that people don't talk about. You know, the grips, the cameraman, all the guys who put the sets together, transport all the sets. Like, all those people now can go back to work. So it's a really good thing that, for the most part, everyone will be back to work. Let's iron out the SAG contract and let's just get everyone back to work and let's get back to making some movies. That's all we're here for. We're getting back into film. Uh, you know, right now we're in the middle of spooky season. We're heading into after that. After that, we'll start getting all the screenings of all the Oscar bait films, all the stuff that was premiering at the film festivals like The Killer, Ferrari, stuff that I'm really looking forward to. I mean, the fact that we're getting a Michael Mann film and a David Fincher film at the end of this year, I just cannot wait for that. We're also getting a Ridley Scott film, Napoleon, a studio-level film. There is just so much coming out this fall. All stuff that looks pretty good, stuff that was screened already that people have said are really good. So I just cannot wait for the this fall. And it's just nice to, you know, get this bad taste out of everyone's mouth with the strikes, get everyone back to work. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe some other corporations around this world can take some notes about, hey, do the right thing by your workers. They're the ones doing the work for you. Give them a fair wage. You know, obviously here in America right now, we have the UAW workers on strike as well. And, you know, that's a real touchy, touchy subject. And again, like I've been in unions, I've been on strike. It's not a fun time. And it's just really good that hopefully we can start moving this world in a more positive direction. Really help support the working class of this entire planet, not just here in America. But in the world of physical media, we have a lot coming out this week. We got The Mist coming out on 4K Blu-ray. Scream 3 coming out on 4K Blu-ray. I just watched Scream 1 and Scream 2 on 4K. I don't think I I reviewed those on the channel. I might do a full review of them. Maybe when we get to Scream 3, I'll review all of them. It's really funny, though, that we actually haven't gotten Scream 4 on 4K. So now, only Scream 4 isn't on 4K. We've gotten Scream 1, Scream 2. Scream 3 is coming out this Tuesday. Scream 5, Scream 6. All that stuff's on 4K, but we're still missing Scream 4, which means more than likely next year, Scream 4 will get released on 4K. But I'm really excited that Scream 3 is coming to 4K. And I was looking at Paramount's releases. As far as their catalog titles go, they're usually priced at US dollars, $19.99, Rose Mary's Babies, $19.99. Trading Places is $19.99. So they really are actually pricing these very fairly now. I've knocked Paramount in the past about how they were pricing stuff, giving us only one 4K disc with no extras and just, you know, throwing it out into the ether and basically just saying, hey, we're just giving you this good 4K scan on 4K, but we still want our 30 bucks. I'm glad to see that they're kind of pricing it a little bit more fairly at $19.99. That's exactly what a catalog title should be priced at. We just need to work on those new release prices because the fact that Scream 6 and Fast X are still priced over $30 on 4K unless they go on sale is very disappointing for a new release. I mean, I get it. You got to try and recoup some of the money that you might have lost at the theaters, but still, that's too high a price, and those are studio releases, and we know those eventually will be on sale come Black Friday. But it's just disappointing to see. Uh, you know, I just want a little bit more fairness in the pricing range. You know, as long as we start bringing those down just a little bit, because it's going to get really hard for the consumers to be buying all of this stuff when you have it priced that high. But I really wanted to shout out Paramount and their releases and pricing them pretty fairly at $19.99. It's very rare now we get something that comes out day one under 20 bucks, And I've knocked Paramount in the past, and I do want to call them out for doing a good job on their pricing recently. It's very consumer friendly and you don't really hear that too much right now in the world of, especially when you were talking Netflix, Disney, or Warner Brothers. It's nice to see Paramount doing something good. And at the end of October we got Mission Impossible coming to 4K which is really awesome. Dead Reckoning coming to 4K. I still don't love that steelbook but it's coming out on Halloween, same day that Rope is coming out on 4K in the Alfred Hitchcock Collection Volume 3. So October is looking very promising for us collectors but there's just so much. Talk to Me is coming to 4K as well. 
witness at the end of the month. Like it's going to be a bad month for the wallets. November is not looking good for the wallet as well. Uh, December, uh, now that well, the Warriors is coming to 4K, I'm already going to be taking a hit there. Some people in my family might have to, you know, we might have to skip a present this year because daddy needs his Blu-rays, daddy needs his 4Ks, and that's more important. I'm just kidding. My family's more important than my 4K collection. Well, that's at least what I'm going to tell them. All right, guys, let's move on to the Q&A portion of the show. I'm not going to be answering all the questions this week. There's one in here specifically I want to save for when Fate's back because she likes to talk about these kinds of movies. So we'll save that one question from Kevin L for next week. But we're going to start it off with a Kevin L question from last week that I didn't answer. And that question is, how would you rank the following performances? Uma Thurman and Kill Bill, Mike Myers and Austin Powers, Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura, Adam Sandler and Happy Gilmore, Jack Nicholson and Batman 89, Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting, Daniel Day-Lewis and Lincoln and Ben Stiller and Meet the Parents. So my least favorite out of that is definitely Ben Stiller and Meet the Parents. He does a great job in that movie, but I don't even think that's Ben Stiller's best performance. He's really funny. That movie is very much of the time. I think it's still a very funny movie. I thought it was funnier, though, back in 2000, if I'm being completely honest with you guys. Um, I don't really run back to it like I do actually all of these movies. And just above that, I'm going to put Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Matt Damon does a great job in this movie, but I think Robert Williams steals the show in this film, and that's why he actually won his only Academy Award for this movie, so I can't put Matt Damon too high. He does a great job in here, but again, that's not Matt Damon's best performance. I think it's a better screenplay. Robin Williams does a better job. Even Ben Affleck does a really good job in this movie, so I don't think Matt Damon is giving his best performance in this film. He still does give a great performance. I don't want to sell it short. And just above that, I'll put Adam Sandler and Happy Gilmore. Now, Adam Sandler was doing this performance for about four or five straight years in movies like this and Billy Madison, where he plays a guy a little bit of an egotistical maniac, higher on himself than the rest of the world is. But he does such a good job in this movie. You also always have sympathy for these characters. He means well. I'm sorry, babe. I didn't mean that. I, I, I think they're excellent finger painting. He just wants to be a hockey player. That's all he's ever wanted out of life. Unfortunately, he's a little bit of a hothead. He can't control himself. And it turns out, though, he's really good at golf. And he's out there playing golf. He's, you know, fighting it out with Shooter McGavin, the new hot kid on the town. <laughs> nice try, you dumb bitch. But his performance in this movie, it's pretty good, but you've seen it before. Other actors actually start outshining him. Even Ben Stiller, speaking of Ben Stiller, in a small role, outshines him a little bit in this movie. Oh, pardon me, but it's uh, nap time. And then Shooter McGavin, Chris McDonald, does a phenomenal job. Chris McDonald, it's the same character he always plays. He always plays a douchebag. He's really good at playing a douchebag, so why not? At times, they kind of outshine Adam Sandler because you've just seen Adam Sandler do this slick before. And above that, I have to put Jack Nicholson in Batman 89. I love Jack Nicholson. Top five actor for me. Batman 89, top five movie for me of all time. But it's not Jack Nicholson's best performance. There's a reason why he was nominated for Academy Award for numerous other films, one for three other films, and wasn't for this movie. You know, this is more of him hamming it up, doing the whole Jack thing. This is your old pal Jack here thing. He was doing all that here. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. Banging out the greatest hits, but guess what? I'm a big fan of the greatest hits, and he's cranking them out in Batman 89. He's just not doing as good a job as he is in movies like Terms of Endearment, The Shining, The Last Detail, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, A Few Good Men, you know? Those movies are all better than his performance in Batman 89, but Batman 89 as a whole is better than most of those movies, so... 
if we're just ranking the performances, this is where I have to put Jack Nicholson. And just above that, I'll put Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. This is my favorite Uma Thurman performance. I'm actually counting both films as one, like it was originally intended to be seen. And her performance is awesome in this movie. She does such a good job. Quentin Tarantino actually always got the best out of Uma Thurman. I'm not the biggest Uma Thurman fan. I enjoy her, but I never see her name on the marquee and go, I gotta go see that Uma Thurman movie this weekend. Never happens. She's always good, but I never actually love her performances. But she is phenomenal in the Kill Bill movies. Those movies I don't think would work with Without her, I think she was cast perfectly, and I mean, that's why I have to rank it that high, and then just above that, I'll put Mike Myers and Austin Powers, I love Mike Myers, I'm only counting the first Austin Powers, but I mean, he does play numerous roles, he plays Austin Powers and Dr. Evil, plays all, both of those characters perfectly and differently, they both bring something different to the table, and later movies, you know, you play Fat Bastard, you play Goldmember, so Mike Myers was always good and always down to play multiple characters, and I can't imagine acting against yourself with nobody there, that's always something that I have to commend the actors for. Eddie Murphy has talked about how hard that is. He's like, I got nominated for an Academy Award for the film Dream Girls, but I thought it was harder to act in movies like The Nutty Professor or Coming to America where I have to play multiple roles. And I can see that. The Academy kind of just gets drawn in by the emotion, but they're not actually looking at how hard the performance is. I think that's something the Academy has to pay a little bit more attention to. I know that comedy isn't the highbrow genre that you would think it is, but to me, I always felt like to make somebody laugh is a lot harder than it is to make somebody cry. And then second Second would be Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura. Now these movies mean a lot to me, both this and When Nature Calls, 1994 in general. I was born in 1992. Two years later, we got Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber in December. I love all three of those movies. All three of those movies would be in my top 10 comedies of all time. Dumb and Dumber would be number one, but Ace Ventura is floating down there in my all-time number two, number three range. And I think Ace Ventura, the first one, maybe not as funny as When Nature Calls. I feel like When Nature Calls, you're kind of there for the game and not the story and the plot. I had a dog, and his name was Bingo! But the plot of the original Ace Ventura is actually pretty good. What happens if the dolphin for the dolphins, the mascot, gets kidnapped? Snowflake the dolphin. What if he gets kidnapped one day? And now we gotta figure out who it is. You know, they left behind a Super Bowl diamond. That means they were on the Super Bowl team. It's gotta be one of those people that was either on the team or one of the coaches, so he's got to go figure out who the hell it is. It's got a good twist ending, might not hold up that well today in 2023, but the film overall is still hysterical, and this does not work without Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey helped work on the script. This was the first movie that came out in 94, I think in February, which makes sense right around the Super Bowl football movie. Dan Marino even appears in this film, but this movie is a showpiece for Jim Carrey, what Jim Carrey can bring to the table, and in my opinion, this is the movie that made him a star, put him on the map. Without Ace Ventura, I don't think we get Dumb and Dumber, Liar Liar, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. We needed Ace Ventura to get there, so I have to commend this performance for that. And at number one, I'm going to put Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. Now, I did say a few weeks ago, I think Daniel Day-Lewis is the greatest actor of all time. Now, I've kind of cooled off a little bit on that after talking with Shamrock Balls, a.k.a. David, because he did point out to me, you know what? Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't really play outside of his comfort zone. He always plays in dramatic performances. That's really where he goes. He's never really in a comedy. He's never really in a horror film. So we never really get to see him do other genres. But in the drama genre, he really is the best. I mean, he's won three Academy Awards for a reason. And one of those was for Lincoln. We don't know what Abraham Lincoln sounds like. There is no recorded audio from him, from what I understand, at least. He died in the 1860s. So we don't know what Abraham Lincoln even sounds like. But I believe he sounds like Daniel Day-Lewis after seeing Lincoln. Spill to afford us this moment now. 
Now, now! That's how good of a performance he gives in this movie. Watch all of Daniel Day-Lewis's performances, and he just falls into all these characters. This is not my favorite Daniel Day-Lewis performance. This will probably be actually like number two or three. I still think his performance in There Will Be Blood is his best performance. But Lincoln is also a very compelling story. I know a lot of people kind of knock it as like, you know, Spielberg just playing around in history like he likes to do now. But what's wrong with that? It's Spielberg playing around in history. I absolutely love that. I think Lincoln is a phenomenal film. It's very entertaining. You're never bored for a story like that that could be very boring. It's not boring. The set design, the production design is all done so well, and it's being led by Daniel Day-Lewis in a phenomenal performance. I love Lincoln. That is a great movie. And that's why that's my number one in comparison to the other performances that are on this list. Thank you, Kevin. That is a great question. And this is from Evil Dead 1996, and he wrote, Video game related, the worst one you've seen or played. So, I've been pretty fortunate. I've never really played some atrocious video games, but I have been let down by video games many times that I thought were going to be way better than they turned out to be. And for me, the big one was Capcom's Lost Planet. I think this came out in 2007. Uh, but even got a couple of sequels from what I remember, but I was so excited for this. I get really excited for games set in the snow. I get excited for movies set in the snow. I love the snow. What can I say? I'm a snow guy. I'm a snowman, if you will. And Lost Planet was set in the snow. It was this uh, third-person shooter game, very much like a Capcom game. I'm a huge fan of the Resident Evil game, so I was really excited for this game. I couldn't wait for it. I remember looking it up in the Game Informer magazine, getting just really pumped up for it. I pre-ordered it. I had a nice collector's edition at the time. I pre-ordered that, and I hated the game. I thought it was boring. I thought it was clunky. I didn't think the story was interesting. I didn't think it played well. I was bored. I, I never went back to it. I beat the game, and I just I hated it. I never went back to it. I was just so disappointed by it. I don't really get too let down by video games. You know, video games, if I don't like them, I can put them down. But, like, a game like Lost Planet, I just couldn't believe that I didn't like it. I was so excited for it. I was looking forward to it. Matt will even make jokes about Lost Planet to me because he enjoyed it. And I'm happy other people enjoyed the game, but it just didn't work for me at all. And that one, I guess, I overhyped it for myself. That was it. I got, I got caught up in the snow. What can I say? That really blinded me. And before we get to the next question, I forgot to bring this up. It's releasing a Steelbook collection of the Resident Evil films on 4K. I think it was just last year that they released this most recent collector's edition on 4K where you got them all in like their own individual packages, but it's not but it wasn't in Steelbooks. Now we're getting them on Steelbook and it's it's very nice, but I don't think you need to upgrade if you already have the previous edition that came out last year because it's probably the same exact scans. They don't I don't think they've officially confirmed that, but I'm almost guaranteeing it's almost the exact same scans that came out last year so if you didn't grab them last year and you are a fan of the franchise now they are coming to steelbook which is really cool and i actually prefer the design of these steelbooks over the last year's release even though last year's release did have some pretty unique and cool looking packaging i think this version is better but look out for a sale when it comes to the previous edition usually when they announce a new steelbook edition like this the previous edition they probably want to you know cut that stock so it might go on sale pretty soon. Look for that around this month or even around Black Friday next month. So check that one out. I just forgot to bring that up in the beginning of this video when we were talking about the news. And I'm sure there's a lot of fans out there of the Resident Evil franchise. Me personally, not a big fan. I like the original film and that's really it. All the sequels and remakes and whatever the hell else they've come out with have all been atrocious. Just stick to the games. The games are great. The games are some of the best all time. The Resident Evil franchise is probably my favorite franchise ever. Every game that comes out from that is always good. But when it comes to the movies, it's, for the most part, it's awful. <laughs> I mean, everything after the first one for me just doesn't work. But I know that there's fans of the franchise, so don't let me detour you. If you love them, 
They're coming to Steelbook. And this one is from Tell Him Freddy sent you, and he wrote, which of the three Punisher films is your favorite? So we've gotten three Punisher films and a TV show that came out on Netflix a few years ago. I think John Bernthal starred in it. I actually never checked out the show. Oh, that's not true. I did watch the first episode. I just don't remember. I never really got into the Netflix Marvel shows. They always just kind of felt like second-tier Marvels. So very much actually like what happens on Disney Plus now. I felt like that about the Netflix shows, but Faith, my wife, absolutely loved those shows. I remember her loving Luke Cage with Mahershala Ali. I actually think that was the first time she ever heard of Mahershala Ali, but he was phenomenal on that show. A lot of the acting was great on those shows, but, you know, they just kind of got forgotten about, and now they're just nothing. Uh, even though they are bringing Daredevil back to Disney+, Plus, they just renamed the show. But as far as the Punisher films go, we got the original one back in the uh, early 90s. That one starred Dolph Lundgren. We got the 2004 one that starred John Travolta. Not as the Punisher, but as the villain. And then we got, I want to say like 08, 09, we got Punisher Warzone. That one's actually been released on 4K. And most people, I think, prefer Punisher Warzone, but I was 12 years old when the 2004 version came out, and I think that's my personal favorite of the three films. That one, none of the Punisher films are great, but they all are good in their own ways. I think the original one with Dolph, with Dolph Lundgren is just over-the-top cheesy, and I love over-the-top cheesy, so I really enjoyed that one for that. The one that came out in 04, it is cheesy, but in its own dark, menacing way, and it's also very violent. I mean, the story it's telling, Can you under, you don't blame the Punisher for why he does what he does, why he wants his revenge. And John Travolta, when he plays a villain, he always plays those characters over the top, but over the top perfectly. I'm looking at movies like Broken Arrow, Swordfish, Face Off when he's playing Nicolas Cage. That stuff all works so well. I love seeing this John Travolta, and he works so well in the 04 version of The Punisher. So for me, that is my personal favorite uh, Punisher film. But, you know, I want to hear what you guys think. What's your favorite Punisher film? Do you prefer Dolph Lundgren's version, the 04 version, or do you prefer Warzone? Or you don't like them all, and you're like, I like the TV show, and I want them to, you know, really concentrate on The Punisher. I think The Punisher has the most potential of any superhero that hasn't really been brought forward yet. Like, they keep trying, but they are just, like, right on the cusp of gold, but they never quite strike it. And it's really unfortunate because it is one of the most interesting characters. And now the next Kevin L question is, what are your favorite scenes from horror movies that take place in the following locations? Cemetery. Uh, I'm, my, the first thing that comes to mind for this one is uh, Return of the Living Dead. The kids are hanging out in the cemetery while they're waiting for their buddy to get out of work, his first day working there. So they're just hanging out in the cemetery. Then what do you know? Zombies start coming to life, and now they got to fight them off. And like I've said in the past, Return of the Living Dead is my favorite zombie film of all time. Great horror comedy. So, of course, I'm going to pick Return of the Living Dead as my favorite film set in a cemetery. But... I'm just going to say that there was a follow-up to that because the beginning of Jason Lives takes place at a cemetery. And I love the rain and lightning bringing Jason back to life as we go right into the James Bond opening. Or in this case, it's the Jason opening taking from James Bond. Love that stuff. And then a hospital. Well, the first one that came to mind with this one was Halloween 2. The original Halloween 2. Not the Halloween 2 from Rob Zombie or Halloween Kills. The first Halloween 2 we got. This one where Laurie, it takes place on the same day as the original Halloween. Laurie's been transported to the hospital. But Michael's not done yet. He's got to still kill her. And this is when we first find out that... Jamie Lee Curtis's Lowry Schrode is the sister to Mike Myers, that she was adopted. Now, this became a 
plot point all the way through about Halloween H2O Resurrection, and then they kind of abandoned this. And a lot of people like myself who grew up thinking that this was the canon, you know, before they before they wiped that away with the later movies, you know, that was a little bit disappointing. But I still always enjoyed Halloween too. You know, it takes everything that you know about the original Halloween movie. It's not directed by John Carpenter; it's just produced by him and Deborah Hill. They turn it all up to ten. It becomes more violent, more gory, a lot more like what you would expect from a 1980s slasher film. Really, you know, the first Halloween was just nothing like what Halloween two was. But I still really enjoy. Halloween 2. I still think it's a fun movie that I like to watch every single year. It has a really good 4K from Screen Factory if you haven't grabbed that. And the third one down was Bedroom. And I'm going to cheat a little bit on this one because it doesn't necessarily take place in a bedroom, but it takes place in a motel room. So even though Hotel's one of the ones we'll get to in a minute, I want to talk about the movie The Bug, or Bug, that was directed by William Freakin, starring Michael Shannon, that came out in the I want to say like 06, 07 area. And it's a young Michael Shannon in this movie, but it's still Michael Shannon. Shannon, you know, that Michael Shannon just seems so weird and just creeps you out. Well, this is the perfect movie for that. It's an allegory for drug use. You know, he ends up kind of like forcing his way into this girl's life who's been really struggling with drug use. You know, she lost her kid. Her kid died. It's a very, very dark movie. Michael Shannon himself is struggling with drugs. And now these two people are starting to get really paranoid. And they start putting foil tin or tin foil all over the walls and the floor to keep the bugs out because they keep thinking that they're getting attacked by bugs. They keep thinking that the military's after them, the cops are after them. They're just becoming really paranoid. And the way they light the set once they put all the tin foil up all over the walls and this neon purple light lighting the rest of the set, it is just incredible. And that's pretty much their bedroom. So I'm going to count that as my bedroom pick. And then basement. Oh, this one's a very tough. A lot of movies have gone into the basement. I don't know how many movies actually take place in in the basement like for the majority of the movies like the goonies you know they keep the uh the creepy guy down there in the basement that's where he lives um a lot of other movies like the night of the hunter the basement plays a big part in that movie the set design of the basement in the night of the hunter so i think i'd pick the night of the hunter if i'm being honest i love what they do with that movie uh the german expressionism sets how they light that film i as far as cinematography goes night of the hunter is a beautifully shot film one of the best shot films i've ever seen that is probably my pick for the best looking 4k blu-ray to be shot in black and white you know it was shot in black and white by choice that's one thing that people have to realize about that movie. It came out in the 50s. A lot of time, you know, people go, oh, it's for the money. But sometimes it's just for the look of it. And The Night of the Hunter just captured that perfectly with its cinematography. And then the next one is Hotel. And obviously I have to go with 1980s The Shining. Directed by Stanley Kubrick. Starring Jack Nicholson. Has any movie ever been better that was that's taken place in a hotel? I could have picked another Stephen King adaptation, 1408. Because that takes place at the Dolphin Hotel in New York. I don't think that's a real hotel. But The Shining's Hotel the Overlook Hotel is one of the creepiest hotels you'll ever see when you go inside of it it doesn't match the layout that you see from the outside so you're already suspicious of what the hell's going on it's got the creepy maze you know it can't be no one could go there in the winter despite the fact that it would be great for skiing it's just open a few months of the year it needs its caretaker over the winter just to run the boilers and everything and just make sure nothing turns to shit but it's the shining so of course it turns to shit and then the next one is car so there's so many movies that take place in a car just in the car I guess Cujo. Cujo, for the most part, takes place in the car. Dee Wallace trying to make sure she doesn't get eaten by the dog with rabies. So that's a good one, too. But a lot of movies take place in the car, but they just spend a lot of time in the car in that movie. Obviously, they don't want to die. And then Outer Space. Ah, uh, this one's tough, but I think I'm going to take Interstellar. If you put 2001 A Space Odyssey and Interstellar side by side, I'm actually going to pick Interstellar now. As much as I love 2001 A Space Odyssey, it's one of the greatest films ever, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Still holds up to this very day. Still can't believe that movie was made in the 
the 60s. But Interstellar, that's my 2001 A Space Odyssey. It is the perfect space opera, space epic, telling a great tale. It's trying to be as scientifically accurate as possible. It's just done with so many great performances from Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain. Even Topher Grace gives a good performance in this movie. And of course, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, so it's shot beautifully. Amazing Hans Zimmer score. So I have to pick that one for my favorite movie that is set in outer space. And the next Kevin L question is, how would you rank the following movies? Barbie, Blue Beetle, Evil Dead Rise, Air, Dune 2021, Pearl, Fast and Furious, and and Rocky Four. Well, out of all of these, I gotta put at dead last. I'm gonna have to put. I'm gonna have to put Blue Beetle. I did actually really enjoy Blue Beetle a little bit more than most people. It seems I still thought it was a very good movie. Is it generic and hitting all of the superhero tropes you've seen before? Yeah, it definitely is. It borrowed from a lot of superhero movies in the past. But it also put its own coat of paint on it. And I love that coat of paint. I love the blue, purple, neon colors of it. You really do care about the family in this movie. You care about the lead. And I really do think it's actually a good movie. It's not a great movie. It's not a special movie. But it is a really good movie. And it has its fans. And it's one you should definitely check out. But on this list, I have to put it at last. And right above that, I'm actually going to put Evil Dead Rise. Uh, this one I just think got overhyped for me. I have to rewatch it. I'm going to rewatch it the spooky season when the 4K eventually. And I hope to God drops in price it's coming to steelbook on october 3rd so i'll check the price out that day i have to check it out again but when i first saw it in theaters i just felt like i was a little underwhelmed by it they were promoting it as this like special horror film something that we hadn't seen before something we're going to absolutely love it was going to really bring evil dead to 2023 and it was good it was good it just wasn't great it wasn't what i was expecting I think it really did expand the lore a little bit, showed us that, you know, it's not a haunted cabin, it's a haunt, it's a haunted book. That book can go anywhere, or multiple books, as we kind of find out in this movie. And I think Evil Dead Rise is shot well, it's got some really good kills, some gruesome kills, it's bringing new aspects that I did appreciate. I just think it got a little bit overhyped for me. And then above that, I'm going to put Fast and the Furious. As much as I like Fast and the Furious, I still think the original one is the best in the Fur in the franchise. But Fast and Furious, I don't know if you're asking about the fourth one or the first one. I'm going to assume it's the first one. I still really like that movie. It's just a point break ripoff, though. Literally, plot point after plot point is right out of Point Break. And Point Break, I still think, is a better movie. But it did start a franchise. A franchise I've grown to enjoy. I still don't love the Fast and the Furious franchise like other people do. But I can sit back, appreciate them for what they are, which are just mindless action movies that have some entertaining aspects to it a soap opera cars i can appreciate it for that they're good to look at they're definitely eye candy and the first one is still the best in my opinion maybe the fifth one's a little bit better but i'm not too sure on that and then above that, I'll put Rocky Four. It's my favorite Rocky film, what can I say? It's the over-the-top 80s cheese show starring not only Sylvester Stallone, but also Dolph Lundgren. And they just do an over-the-top job. There's steroids everywhere, sweat everywhere, montage after montage, and I just eat that shit up for breakfast. I love Rocky IV. You know, it's the movie that beat the Cold War. It showed that if, if I can do it, we can do it. So that's pretty much what it is. The fact that we have everybody in the Soviet Union cheering for Rocky, that that is more powerful than us fighting. I mean, I, I absolutely love it. It's cheesy as hell, but I still absolutely love Rocky IV. So the next one I'm going to have to put Air. I loved Air when I first saw it. It's one of the better movies of 2023. Uh, we don't get movies like this very much anymore. Telling the tale of Nike trying to grab Michael Jordan starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon who co-wrote the screenplay together again. So it's really cool to see that. 
I think they wrote the screenplay. I'm not 100% sure. Don't quote me on that. I know Ben Affleck did direct this movie. Amazon, they uh, they put up the money for it. I think it had like a $90 million budget. It had a great score. It was shot so well. You can watch this right now on Amazon Prime. You could also you know buy the Blu-ray, which is pretty cool. We don't have a 4K yet. Hopefully, we get that. And since it came to Blu-ray, I won't be buying it because my gut tells me it'll come to 4K next year like that, like they always do. They release it on Blu-ray first. Then the next year, we get it on 4K, probably in a steelbook. So that's what I'm expecting to have happen. And I still just really enjoy the movie. I think it's a fun movie. It's just one of those sports tales that we don't get anymore, like overcoming the odds. You know, it's weird that Nike is the underdog in this movie, what we know about Nike now. But at the time, in the basketball shoe market, technically they were the underdog. So it's pretty cool. It's one of those, you know, rags to riches story, except it's a rich to richer story. And then just above that, I am going to put Dune 2021. I really love this movie, directed by... Denise Villeneuve, one of the better movies he's ever directed. Him and Christopher Nolan bring scope and epic to the big screen still. They're the two directors, I think, that actually take these big budget films and bring it to the next level, make it more highbrow, not brainless action movies. They're actually thought-provoking films. Dune is one of those books that's always been said can't be brought to the big screen. David Lynch tried back in the 1980s, and that movie's good in its own way, in a cheesy kind of way. But this movie was really what people wanted, what they were expecting, and Denis Villeneuve was perfect for it. We, I mean, this movie was, it's just shot phenomenally, the scope of it, how epic it is, how big everything looks, and it's telling a very compelling story, a story that actually inspired Star Wars, because the book came out actually before that. One of the original sci-fi stories that people absolutely loved, has numerous books, we were supposed to get Doom Part 2 actually later this year, but that got delayed until March of 2024 now, unfortunately, and they blame the writers and actors strike for that, so we're not getting that this year, but when we do eventually get the second part to the story, we'll see if Denis Villeneuve can stick the landing but at least we'll still always have 2021s and then at number two I have to put Barbie I absolutely love this movie it's still one of my favorite movies of this year I know not everybody loved Barbie but I had a great time in the theaters and it was just a special movie theater experience seeing Oppenheimer and Barbie in back-to-back days and I was on vacation like you can't replace those movie theater moments it kind of just felt like how it did back in the 2000s when I was like you know growing up in my teen years and just having the theater be packed with people excited to see a movie, seeing a packed house movie with everyone cheering and laughing, you can't replicate those moments. And Barbie itself was a really good film. Greta Gerwig did a great job directing this movie. Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling do a phenomenal job acting in the lead roles as Barbie and Ken. All the supporting actors and actresses do a great job. Will Ferrell's hysterical, even if you could take his character out of the movie. It's still a great movie. Production design, that's one thing that I don't hear enough people talking about. The original soundtrack is great. I never thought I'd be listening to the Barbie soundtrack in 2023 as much as I do, but I put that on in my car a lot, and that's because all the songs are phenomenal. And at least two of these songs will get nominated for Best Original Song. That's how good of a soundtrack it is. So it does feel very much like a summer blockbuster, but a modern one. Bringing it to 2023, we need more films like Barbie. That's why Barbie's my number two on this list. And number one, I'm going to have to put Pearl. Pearl from last year, the sequel to X, which also came out last year, directed by Ty West. The second in a trilogy, Maxine is supposedly coming out, I think, in 2024. I think they started filming it. I'm not 100% sure, but we got a little teaser trailer at the very end of Pearl. But Pearl, for me was my second favorite film of last year, only behind Babylon. It's a character study of Pearl. We first see her in X, played by Maya Goth, who plays another character in the movie X, and plays old Pearl in X. Now she's playing the younger version of Pearl in Pearl. And she does such a good job acting in this movie. One of the best performances of last year. The monologue that she gives about her basically just losing her shit is phenomenal. The camera is just set on her, and you are gripped 
by what every word that she's saying. And unfortunately, because it's a horror film, there was no way she was going to get nominated for an Academy Award for it. That's something that is just always going to happen when it comes to horror films. Sometimes they get honored, but for the most part, the acting performances don't. And it's very disappointing because Maya Goth just hit a home run with this movie. And thank you so much, Kevin, for that question. That's going to be the last question for this week. Kevin, we have two more questions from you that we're going to answer next week. I want to answer both of those questions with Faith, though. And I think she'll get a kick out of them. So we'll answer those questions next week, along with whatever questions you guys want to ask for next week's show. And if you do want to ask questions and you're listening to this on podcast forum, come over to the YouTube channel, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. You can ask questions there, or you can always just reach out to us at our email address. Let's talk ENTMT at gmail.com. Leave us a question or comment there. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you don't forget to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, get out in those streets, and tell your friends about us. And we'll be seeing you around.